So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm so thankful for the young people and the job that Pastor Jason and Heidi are doing with them back there. It's growing, it's moving, and what wonderful young people God's bringing our way. We're so thankful for it. I want to talk to you today. I want to begin a series about wisdom. How many of you can say, I think I could use a little bit more wisdom? It's one thing to have a head full of knowledge, another thing to have wisdom. I want to begin a series I'm calling Wisdom, Keys to Get You Where You Really Want to Be. Keys to get you where you really want to be. I believe when we get saved, God drops dreams in our heart. God gives us goals, visions, dreams. And I think one thing we forget is that it takes wisdom to reach those dreams. So I'm going to talk about this uh, in the next few weeks. Let's read together on the value of wisdom. Say with me the first two words up there out of Proverbs 4, verse 5. Get wisdom. That's a command. That's not a suggestion. So here we go. Let's get it. Develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom, for she will protect you. Love her, and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Here's what wisdom will do for you. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She'll place a lovely wreath on your head. She'll present you with a beautiful crown. Well, that sounds good enough to me, right? And that's just a sampling of what's in the Bible in terms of the value of wisdom. So let's pray together. Father, we just thank you that you are the dispenser of wisdom. Wisdom comes from you, and you have made Jesus to be to us the wisdom of God. Now, Lord, give us wisdom. Can you breathe a prayer, church, and just say, Lord, increase my wisdom that I can live wisely? Now let me pray for you while your heads are bowed. I want to pray a blessing on you. I really feel an unction on this series. I want to encourage you as we're praying, turn your cell phone off. That's wisdom. Because we're getting about a call a week, and boy, do we have some strange ringtones coming through. I think the Adams family took the cake. So I want you to Turn them off so they don't go off. And while our heads are bowed, I'm going to ask there be as little movement as possible. People have come from miles around to come to church today to be fed. And it's very distracting if people get up in the middle of the service and move around. Uh, it's distracting. And if you know before the end of, this, of the message you're going to have to get up and leave, then I'm going to ask you to move towards the back, and the ushers will help you now so that it's not distracting when you get up because we need to hear this word now lord i'm asking you in jesus name to bless this congregation we need wisdom like we've never needed it before we need the wisdom of jesus on our life in this hour of attack and also this hour of blessing we need to make wise choices wise choices in every arena of life and i pray 
bless this congregation with spiritual growth in this area of wisdom and wise choices. In Jesus' name. Now, will you pray and say, Lord, speak to my heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, wise up. And you can be seated. Now, next few weeks we're going to be looking at the awesome power and the awesome value of wisdom in our lives. We're going to cover, cover four areas where uh, experience has shown me and the Word tells me that we really need wisdom in our life. Here are these four areas. This is what we're going to be covering the next four weeks. Today we're going to look at the wisdom of discipline. Not being disciplined as in punished, but the wisdom of having personal discipline in our own lives. That's wisdom. And I'm going to talk about that today. Next week, wisdom with relationships, friendships, romances, you name it. We're going to talk about relationships. And boy, don't miss next week because so many Christians stumble in this area and we need wisdom. Now, third week, the wisdom of a clean life. The wisdom of a clean life. And then the fourth week, the wisdom of the Lordship of Christ. Walking in the Lordship of Christ. Now, here we go. Di discipline, relationships, a clean life, and the Lordship of Christ. Those four areas in the next week, I guarantee you, your life will be changed as you sit under this because this is the Word of God. And the Word of God is given to change us, to correct us, to instruct us, to guide us. And so we're going to see wisdom in these areas and learn wisdom and walk in wisdom because, folks, these are crucial times we live in. We need wisdom like never before. Now, the Bible clearly places a huge premium on wisdom. Whole chapters in Proverbs and verses throughout the Bible are dedicated to warning us against foolish living and to encourage us to live wisely. In the passages we just read, I want you to notice the benefits of wisdom that are spelled out for us. Let me just give you a few. Wisdom will protect you, guard you, make you great. So often we're believing God for a guardian angel. Let me tell you what one of the guardian angels is. Wisdom. Wisdom is a guardian angel. Wisdom will protect you, guard you. It says will make you great, will bring you honor. If you walk in wisdom, it will bring honor to your life. It'll keep you from stumbling into sin. Wisdom. Wisdom is, is the pathway to discernment. The more you know, the more wisdom you have, the more discerning you are. Wisdom will pre present you with a beautiful crown as your reward at the judgment seat of Christ. All the advantages of wisdom, they're incredible, and that's just a few. And you know, the Bible says that the only option to wise living is living like a fool. Now the fool is clearly described in the Bible as well. Let me read to you a few characteristics of a foolish person. One who despises discipline and despises instruction. The fool will say to you, don't tell me how to live, don't preach at me, don't tell me that God stuff, don't give me that Bible stuff. The fool doesn't want to hear wisdom. And the fool hates instruction and doesn't receive correction. I'm amazed how many Christians in our day resent godly correction when it will actually save your life. 
The fool trusts in his own heart over God's word, according to the Bible. Trust in their own impulses, their own feelings, instead of God's word. The fool ruins his life through unwise choices. The fool says there is no God. That's one of the characteristics of a fool. I don't care if they got 10 degrees behind their name. When they say there is no God, the Bible says they're a fool. The fool, Scripture says, is somebody who constantly gets into trouble over the words he should not have said. The fool is always chattering about nothing, saying things that are gossipy or slanderous or that make like a boomerang and come back and bite them. The fool is always paying consequences for ill-advised words. The fool derives great pleasure out of doing stupid, destructive things. They glory in folly. The fool thinks that folly is funny. Whereas the wise person says, no, 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 no. If I do that, there's going to be strong consequences down the road, so I won't do that. The fool mocks at God's warnings and takes no account at all of consequences. The fool says, consequences, who cares? I'm going to do what I want. And life is just a great big game. And let's just have fun. Tomorrow we die. And they live like fools. And they're always reaping consequences for their actions. Now let me tell you the truth today. You can be saved and still ruin your life. Just ask Samson. You can be saved and still badly stumble. Just ask David or Solomon. You can know the Lord as your Savior and still be the devil's fool. Just ask Simon Peter or Demas, who forsook the Lord, having loved this present world. You can be the devil's fool and be God's child. In almost 30 years as a pastor, I've I got to tell you, I've sadly watched saved people with all kinds of potential and blessing and giftedness squander it all away on foolish decision-making. See, folks, we need wisdom. You can know everything, but see, wisdom is knowing how to apply knowledge rightly. We need wisdom, and the Bible is full of wisdom. If you want to know the greatest wisdom book in the world, it's right here. This Bible is loaded with wisdom. There's a reason it is the all-time bestseller and always will be. This is God's Word, and it is filled with wisdom. You can be the most uneducated person in the room, but if your mind is filled with this Word, you'll be wiser than a Ph.D. Because wisdom comes from this book. Fill your mind with the Word of God. Fill your mind with Scripture. Read it all the time. It'll make you wise. So today, let me begin by talking to you about the wisdom of having a disciplined life. How many of you can honestly say today, well, pastor, really, I could use a little more discipline in my life. The rest of you, come on now. <laughs> I could use a little more discipline in my life. We all need discipline, and discipline is so important. Here's why. Because you'll never reach where you're really supposed to be without discipline. You'll never achieve God's dreams without discipline. It's a matter of how bad you want what you want. Because whatever you really want badly, you will discipline your life to get it, and it will take discipline to achieve it. Did you know the word disciple carries the idea of discipline? As a matter of fact, let me tell you what a disciple of Jesus Christ is, which if you're a Christian, you ought to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. They go hand in hand. You don't have a Savior 
alone. You've got a teacher, a guide, a leader on a daily basis. His name is Jesus, and we're to follow him daily, not just wait for our ticket to ride into heaven. Now, a disciple is a disciplined learner and a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple is. The disciple gets up every day and says, teach me, teacher. Lead me, counselor. I've got these decisions today, Lord. Talk to me about it. What should I do, Lord? What are you saying to me? What is your word saying to me? What should I do? Because I know you are my chief counselor, chief philosopher, chief teacher, and you're not just my Savior, you're my Lord. And so today, Lord, be my Lord and give me wisdom. I need wisdom today. I've been in this thing since I was 16 years old, and I still open up this book, and I devour it, and I say, oh, God, please lead me, teach me, guide me. I'm a disciple. I'm a disciplined learner. I have made up my mind to be one. Jesus told his disciples they were going to have to learn discipline if they were going to follow him. He said in Luke 9, 23, he said to them all, listening to him, quote, if any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, which is the essence of discipline. When you deny yourself and bring discipline into your life, he said, and he'll have to take up his cross daily and follow me. The cross is when you put God's will over yours and denying yourself is when you discipline your life. If you're going to grow spiritually and achieve the dreams that God's put in your heart, you're going to have to exercise discipline in every area of life. Your eyes, what you look at, your ears, what you listen to, your mind, what you think about, and your appetites, what controls you. All of those things are going to have to come under the discipline of God. Discipline is of God. Discipline is a great thing. The joy of the Lord only increases the more disciplined you are. Now think of it this way. We all enter the kingdom of God as newborn babies in Christ. That's what the Bible says. When you get saved, you are not immediately a full-grown spiritual adult. You are a baby in Christ. 1 Peter 2 verse 2 says, As newborn babies earnestly desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow. So whenever you were saved, when you got saved, you came into the kingdom as a spiritual baby. And we got a lot of babies in this church. You can hear them, wah, 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 wah. I want what I want when I want it, so on and so forth. You know, Paul told the Corinthian church, he talked to the Corinthian church, even though they were all born in the kingdom of God as spiritual babies, he talked to the Corinthian church about the necessity of one day growing up. He said, when I was a child, I talked like a child. Goo goo gaga. That's the way I talk, as a child. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But now that I have become a man, I am done with childish ways and have put them aside. Paul said, there came a time in my life, I was a spiritual baby when God knocked me down on the road to Damascus and a great light shone around me and I was saved. I was born a spiritual baby, but I didn't stay there. There came a day when I said, I'm going to have to put away childish ways and things, the way I think, the way I view the world, the way I view people, thoughts, the way I talk, 
childish talk, childish thinking. I'm going to have to put it away and grow up. There's going to come a day where I've got to grow up. And I want to tell you, church, there comes a day in every one of our lives when we've got to grow up. We got to put away childish things, childish ways of talking, childish ways of thinking, childish ways of reasoning, and say, it's time for me to become a full grown man, full grown woman of God, full grown man of God. It's time for me to become a spiritual adult. Children have no discipline, they scream till they get their way, they dirty their diapers, they must be carried everywhere, they expect everything to be done for them. But the day comes when they have got to stand up and walk on their own. They know they're going to have to set aside time to study or fail at school. They're going to have to get their chores done by a certain time or experience their parents' displeasure. They begin to realize and see and, and come to the knowledge that there are certain things I'm going to have to do as an adult or there's going to be negative consequences that come my way. They put away childish things. They've got to, and they learn discipline, or they're going to reap a world of trouble. Now, if we had a baby in here right now that began to cry, wah, 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 we say, oh, that's a little baby. But if there was an adult that all of a sudden took off, wah, 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 you, you would think, uh-huh, something is wrong. But as you know that we've got a lot of people that have been saved for years and years and years, and they're still wah, wah, wah. They're still dirty in their diapers, figuratively speaking. <laughs> they're still expecting everybody to jump and take care of all of their needs. They don't take responsibility for their actions. They're always blaming somebody else. They've never grown up. And there's nothing more sad than an adult in a diaper. So Paul says, I want you to grow up. I want you to learn to exercise discipline in your life because that's a part of growing up. Spiritual maturity and disciplined self-denial go hand in hand. The Apostle Paul was the greatest Christian that ever lived, in my opinion. Greatest Christian that ever lived. And he maintained a disciplined life, and he tells us why. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, Don't you realize that in a race everybody runs? But only one person gets the prize. So run to win. I, here he goes, I discipline my body. He says, look, I want to win. This is the game of life. This is the Christian walk. And I've got a race to run, and I don't want to run in vain. I want to win. How many in here want to win? He said, I want to win. I want to reach the finish tape. I want to break it. I want to run well. I want to reach the end strong. So he says, so here's how I got to do it. If I'm going to run to win, if I'm going to win the prize, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified, meaning lose my reward. That I would preach to all these people and then lose my own reward because I had no discipline in my own life. Now here's what Paul is saying. Because he's saying it to all of us, and it's true for all of us. Every Christian is in a race. If you're in this room as a believer, you're in a race. Like it or not, you have been called to this race, placed in this race. And in this race, there is a finish line. 
The finish line is comprised of three things Paul mentions in 2 Timothy when he's summing up his own life just before his martyrdom. He says, let me sum up my life, and I'm going to tell you what the finished tape is comprised of. Here's why I'm running to win. He said, the finished tape is this. One, I fought a good fight, the fight of faith. There's only one good fight, and that's the fight of faith. He said, I fought a good fight, first one. Second, I have finished the race. What's the race? The race is completing what God gave you to do as an individual. I have completed the race, what God gave me to do. Third, I have kept the faith. I have stayed true to the truth of Jesus Christ. I have not deviated from the truth that is in Jesus Christ. I stay true to it. So the finish line is fighting well, finishing strong, staying true. If you can reach the end of your life and have it on your tombstone, they fought a good fight, they finished their race, and they kept the faith, nothing better can be said about you than that. That is the ultimate successful life. I'll take that over Donald Trump and all of his billions. He may have on his tombstone, I made billions. I'd rather have on my tombstone, fought a good fight, finished my race, kept the faith. That's just all there is to it. Now, now the fact that we're in this race and, and we're in it to fight well, to finish strong, and to stay true, my message today is that these three things will never be achieved apart from discipline, a disciplined lifestyle. And not only that, but any dream or goal that you've got that is worth having will require disciplined self-denial or you won't get there. When I got saved, I had never finished high school. I'd gotten to the ninth grade, and that was it. I got in so much trouble that I never finished 10th, 11th, or 12th, never went through it. And so I get saved, and what does God say to me? He says, go to college. And I said, I rebuke you, Satan, in Jesus' name. <laughs> that can't be right. He said, I want you to go to college. I said, you got to be kidding me. I have no high school. The Lord said, I'm with you. Go. So I went, but here's what I found. First couple of years in junior college, it took discipline. I had to say to myself, this is what he has said in front of me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring into play anything I've got to to finish the dream he's placed in my heart. And so I started junior college. One day a teacher took me out in the hall and said, Jeff, are there any holes in your education? I said, oh, there's a few leaks in the boat, but it's no big deal. I'm fine. So the first couple of years, I just played catch up. Everybody else knew what was being said but me. I had to go learn English and math and history and all those things on my own. And so I graduated with a bachelor's degree from UNT. And then God said, now I want you to go further. And I said again, I rebuke you, whoever you are. I fin I'm finished. The Lord said, I want you to go on. I had to discipline my life. I began a master's program, discipline my life. I said no to so many things. My friends would go off, do this, that, and the other. I said, no, I've got to do this. My mind is set on what I've got to accomplish, and I'm going to have to discipline my time, my focus, my energy, and bring it all into play to finish what he's given me. So I disciplined my life. In the morning, I rode my bike to school. In the afternoon, I rode my bike to work. In the evening, I rode my bike back to the school, went into the library, and buried myself in the books. You would have said, he has no life. 
But I did. I was finding life because I was obeying God. And I learned how to discipline my life, how to tell my body what to do and my eyes what to do and my ears what to do instead of them telling me. What is discipline? By the way, I went through the master's and I went through a doctorate. I was 10 years in graduate school. And how did I do it? Discipline. What was my doctorate really in? I would tell you, discipline. <laughs> what was the master's in? Self-control. You know what discipline is? It's doing what you ought to do when you don't feel like it. That's discipline. Well, Pastor Jeff, if I'm walking with God, I'm always going to feel like what he tells me to do. No, you're not. What world are you living in? There are things God's going to tell you to do you don't want to do. Discipline is doing what you ought to do when you don't feel like it. The late Dallas Cowboys coach Tom Landry understood this aspect of discipline. A reporter asked him one time how he dealt with his team, and here's what he said. My job is getting the players to do what they don't want to do, that they might be who they really want to be. That statement works on me like you can't imagine. What a powerful statement. You see those 350-pound hulks? I know what they want to be. They want to be football stars. They want to be successful. They want to make touchdowns. They want to win. My job is to train them to doing things they don't want to do so that they can be what they really want to be. And when Jesus looks at you and me, that's exactly what he says. My job is to get you to do what you don't want to do that you might be what I've called you to be, what I've destined you to be, what I've summoned you to be. It's called discipline. Now, there are three things you're going to need to establish discipline in your life. These will help you. So let me share with you th three easy, quick things that will help you to establish discipline. Now, once again, how many want a little more discipline in your life? Want a little more discipline? All righty, here we go. First, you've got to know something. Jesus said you will know the truth, and that truth will make you free. So much rides on what we know. What are we to know if we need more discipline in our life? We've got to know what Jesus really did for us on the cross. Do you know that Jesus' victory on the cross, among other things, gave us the power to say no to the flesh and yes to God's will? Stop right there and think about that. When Jesus died on the cross, not only did his crimson blood, innocent blood, wash our sins away, but there was way more than that that happened on the cross, more than most Christians understand. When Jesus died on that cross, well, let me just read it to you. Romans 6, verse 6. Paul says, this is what we know. Do you know what I'm about to read? This is what we know. The person that we used to be was crucified with him. Was crucified with him. In order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. This is what we call doctrine. This is doctrine. And I want you to catch this now. 
He's saying when Jesus died on the cross, you know the old song, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there? Can I answer it? You were there. You were literally in God's eyes there. Well, Pastor Jeff, how can that be? Here's what happened. When Jesus died on the cross, God took that old Adamic nature, that old nature of Adam, that fallen nature that has a bent towards sin, an inclination towards iniquity, that old nature that was driving us and ruling us and controlling us before we were saved, that old nature that did not please God, the Bible says that old nature was at enmity with God. We were the enemies of God. We were not pleasing God, not walking with God, not obeying God. We were the enemies of God because that old nature took us down into sin. We inherited that nature from Adam. It was who we were. But when Jesus died on the cross, by the workings of Almighty God, he took that old Adamic nature and he nailed it to the cross with Jesus Christ so that right now your old Adamic nature is 2100 years back there hanging on the cross with Jesus Christ. That old nature has been crucified. Well, what does that mean? It means that you no longer have to obey the impulses to sin. That we, Paul said, that we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore because a person who has died has been freed from sin's power. The real troublemaker in your life and mine was that old nature we inherited from Adam, and it's back there hanging on the cross with Jesus Christ right now. It has been crucified, and the Bible says we are to reckon that to be true. It shouldn't be hard for Texans. Sorry, I just had to throw that out. Can you say with me, I reckon it's true. The old man is dead. That old nature has no more power over you. Before you were saved, you had to obey it. But now you don't have to obey it because it's crucified on the cross with Jesus Christ. We're to reckon it so. That word reckon means consider it done. Consider it to be done. You say, well, I don't feel like the old man's dead. Well, it doesn't matter what you feel. Let God be true and every man a liar. God says he's crucified. And because he's crucified, you now have the power to say no to the flesh and yes to God's will. You have the power now to say to your body, you will do what I say, I won't do what you say. You have, listen, the Bible says, he that rules over his own spirit is mightier than a man who takes a city all by himself. That's self-control. That's discipline. If you rule over your own life by discipline, you're stronger than a man who takes a city single-handedly. So when you decide to increase your prayer life and that old nature says, I don't feel like it, you say, the procrastinator I used to be has been crucified with Christ. When you resolve to be faithful to church and the old Adamic nature rises up and says, you've got better things to do, you say, the excuse maker I used to be has been crucified with Christ. Now let me get more real right now. When you stand in front of that chocolate cake at Luby's after church, or the cigarette display at the 7-Eleven, 
or the new alcohol aisle that all the grocery stores have put in so they can make more money, that new alcohol aisle in the grocery store, and you pass by, and the old man rises up and says, you can't resist that. You say, I am crucified with Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on, everybody. This is victory in Jesus. We got to know what Jesus did for us, and I could camp right there, but I got to move on. Not only must we know something, what he did for us, but we got to decide something. We're going to have to be people of a made-up mind. You'd be amazed what you can do when you make your mind up. The Bible warns that a man of two minds, hesitating, dubious, irresolute, is unstable and unreliable and uncertain about everything he thinks and feels and decides. The man of an unstable mind says, well, I'm with the Lord today, and the next day he's not. The man of the unstable mind says, I'm in church this week, and the next week he's not. The man of the unstable mind decides that he's going to walk one direction one day, and the next day he decides another. He can't make up his mind. He's torn between two. He's always undecided. And Paul, the greatest Christian that ever lived, was totally the opposite. Let me tell you what his motto was. I'm in it to win it. Since I'm in it to win it, my mind is made up. I'm in this race. I'm going to run it well. I'm going to get to the finish tape. I'm going to break it. I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to keep my race and finish my course. And I'm going to not walk away from Jesus Christ. I'm going to keep the faith that I received. And I'm going to reach the end that way. And I'm in it to win it. So I'm not messing around and I'm not playing church and I'm not playing spiritual games. When a person decides they're going to go for the gold in an athletic contest, they go into vigorous training immediately. They know it's going to take discipline to get there. He has to get his body trim, his weight under control. He's got to build up his muscles, his lungs, his reflexes, his endurance. He restricts his diet. He denies himself many things in order to reach the end and win the gold. It's exactly the same with spiritual things. What do you really want out of life? If you want to reach the end and run your race, the race God set before you, then this is not a casual race. You can't take it today and let it go tomorrow. It's not K Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. We're not the spectators in the bleachers. We're the runners. We're to give it everything we've got. We've got to fully decide we're in it to win it and cultivate a disciplined lifestyle. So you've got to know something, and you've got to decide something. And finally, you've got to prioritize something. You can always tell where a person's heart is by looking at their priorities. What do you think about when you wake up? What is the first thing that gets your focus, your attention, your strength, your affection, your energy, your time? Well, Jesus settled the whole thing of priorities for us. He said, let me tell you what your priority is as a child of God. Matthew 6, seek first, first, not only, but first. Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness, which simply means his rule and reigning in your life. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and life has a way of coming together for you and for me when we make him first. You know why we're to make him first? Because he's first. I, I read a lot of things and I ran across something. You're going to wonder, how did you run across this? I don't know. But I read an old recipe for rabbit stew. And this old recipe for rabbit stew started out with this instruction. First, catch the rabbit. And I said, I got to use that. I just got to use that. Catch the rabbit. No rabbit, no stew. Now watch this. For us, get up in the morning, catch God. No first time with God, no fullness of the Spirit, no sense of His presence, no blessing, no fellowship with Him. You got to first catch the rabbit. And then you have the stew. A professor, everybody can see this. I'm holding up a glass pitcher, see-through. It's full of rocks. It has four rocks all the way up to the top. I read about a professor that did this with his class, and I thought, good stuff. Let me show you. Here's a glass pitcher full of rocks. Now, all the way to the top, let me ask you a question. Is it full? Some say yes, some say no. Some say I don't know. Well, it is yes and it's not, no. It's full of rocks, but if I were to take some gravel and pour it in, the gravel would fall down in between those rocks, it'd go all the way to the bottom, and it would come all the way to the top, and then I would have a glass pitcher with four big rocks in it and gravel, then is it full? Some say yes, some say no. No, because then I can take sand, sugar sand, and pour it in. It will fall in between those pebbles, fall in between the rocks, and the sand would eventually come all the way to the top. Then would it be full? Y'all are just saying no to bug me. <laughs> now watch this. Here it's got four big rocks, it's got gravel, it's got sand, but I can still fill it with water. And I can pour the water in, the water goes all the way down to the bottom, and it comes all the way to the top. Then is it full? Thank you. I have a full pitcher. Now watch this. The moral of the story is this. If I hadn't put the four big rocks in first, I couldn't have gotten them in at all. Now the four big rocks in the morning, prayer. In the morning, second rock, the word. In the morning, the third rock, worship. In the morning, the fourth rock, Jesus. And I got to be sure that I put the big rocks First, I start my day with the big rocks. I start my day with prayer, with the Word, with worship, and with Jesus. Then let my day pour into my life anything it wants because I walked out the door with the big rocks in first. 
Are you with me now? So, so here's the way you ought to start every single day of your life. This is how you prioritize God. He didn't say, I'm the only thing. He said, I'm the first thing. So you get up and you say, oh, Lord, your word is so good. Rock number one. Lord, I worship you. Rock number two. Lord, it's so good to be in your presence. Rock number three. Lord, I give you my day. You are my Lord. Rock number four. Now I'm going out full of the Spirit full of God, ready for warfare, tackle anything. I can say to my body, you will do what I say and you will not tell me what to do. My mind, my eyes, my ears, the whole bit. Why? Because I put the big rocks in first. That's priority. That's the priority of God. So how do you start your day? Full of rocks or empty? And then you go out that empty car jar and the world dumps so much stuff in you and you're weighted down. And have you ever noticed when you don't put God first in your day, you're playing catch up the rest of the day. So, oh, I should have prayed. I should have been in the Word because, man, I'm having my brains beat out by the devil. I should have been with God. No, every day. If you remember anything from this message, put the big rocks in first and you'll succeed. In your spiritual life, it's that simple. Can we stand? We know something, we decide something, we prioritize something. So in Jesus' name, take authority over your body, your mind, and your time. Bring them into line with God's will. Embrace a disciplined life. And it starts putting the big rocks first. Father, I thank you for this precious congregation, precious in your sight, your blood-bought children. Lord, I speak a blessing over them, the blessing of a disciplined lifestyle, living the crucified life, that is, the old man crucified, the new man ruling. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to come to a made-up mind. Thank you for helping us prioritize the kingdom first. And as Heidi plays lightly, I want you to take a minute. And I'm going to ask you to say, Lord, where in my life do I need discipline? With me, I had to really grab hold of my prayer life and just say, I'm going to pray more. I'm just not praying like I should. I'm going to pray more. And I'm having to tell myself to do it when I don't feel like doing it. And then once I do it, I feel like doing it. You're going to get there by discipline. So think a minute. Where do I need discipline? And say, Lord, help me in this area of my life. Help me to start with those big rocks first.